0: Birds, bees, educated fleas, they all do it. But sex actually came quite late in the evolutionary timeline. It took a billion or so years after life first emerged for it to start reproducing sexually. And there might have been a little cannibalism involved too. We'll come back to that. Sex for humans is hugely important in our culture and our economy, but it's had a fascinating pathway to get to that form and those meanings. David Baker is a historian and a science writer who's written a comprehensive history of this most primal urge. It's called Sex, Two Billion Years of Procreation and Recreation. David Baker, great to have you on Life Matters today. Pleasure to be here. Now, we'll spend most of this conversation looking at sex among humans, but let's start with the basics. What is sex in the scientific sense? Is it just swapping DNA?
1: Well, in the, the most clinical scientific sense it is the exchange of genetic material for the purposes of reproduction um, in a broader scientific sense it has been the primary driver of evolution uh, particularly of complex species for the last two billion years and cannibalism where does that come into it all right well uh, the earliest evidence we have for life is about 3.8 billion years ago which is almost as early as it possibly could have formed. Prior to that, the, the Earth was a hellish, molten place to exist in. Um, but we have chemical signatures of simple, microscopic, organic creatures from about 3.8 billion years ago. Uh, for the longest time, about 1.8 billion years, those single cells uh, just cloned themselves. They split all on their own. Simple, clean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the thing you have to understand about uh, the main drive of life is it's all based on DNA's automatic chemical uh, response to self-replicate itself. That's what it does. That is the result of, of that particular uh, chemical reaction. Um, and so these, these tiny microbes were cloning 100% of their DNA. And so you would need a major environmental impetus to uh, suddenly get organic cells sexually reproducing and only copying 50% and sharing space with another organism. And so there's a number of theories as to how this happened, but we do know that it occurred around 2 billion years ago and the time of the uh, snowball earth which happened several times in geological history. And the Snowball Earth is not just an ice age. It is where uh, the ice caps uh, essentially spread from each pole, north and south, until they meet at the equator, completely encasing the Earth in ice. Uh, average surface temperature on a nice day would be minus 50 degrees Celsius. And that is extremely bad for life. Um, even though most, Uh, Even though life existed in the oceans at the time, uh, it blocked out the sun for photosynthesizers on the surface of the oceans. So there was some starvation. And uh, it's distinctly possible because microbes at the time uh, did not contain their DNA in a nucleus, but rather let it uh, float freely around the cell, that in the process of these microbes eating each other, there may may have been accidental exchange of DNA cannibalism, leading to the first sex.
0: Wow. Driven to sex through desperation and hunger. That's not a great origin story, I have to say, David Baker, but luckily it gets more interesting as we move on. I mean, it's interesting, it, it, but it gets, yeah. It's a bit creepy and Hannibal Lecter. But, exactly. you know, reality
1: is what it is.
0: That's true. Well, let's skip forward uh, a little bit, a, a little bit in geologic time anyway. When and why did life forms start developing reproductive organs?
1: All right. Well, uh, now we're jumping forward a bit to multi-celled creatures, Uh, and that's where suddenly you're not just one single microbe, but you're a network of trillions of cells uh, making up an animal, sort of uh, like a a collective, if you will, that's so tightly interwoven that it is, is essentially the same being. But then with all those trillions of cells, they specialize Different tasks. Your brain cells do a certain task. Your liver cells, but also your sex cells, uh, are specifically assigned for reproduction. And then, of course, if you're if you're uh, sexually reproducing, you need uh, a method of transmitting those uh, sex cells. And it would appear the earliest um, ancestors of vertebrates, which is what we are, uh, from the Ediacaran about 600 million years ago uh, were these tiny little worms that burrowed into the ocean sand that were about the size of a, uh, a grain of rice. And they may have uh, carried both eggs and sperm, um, hermaphrodites, and would have come across each other in the sand and uh, essentially 69 uh pressing their, their sacs uh, up against each other uh, with one excreting sperm into uh, a, a sac containing the eggs.
0: Oh, well, that's efficient. It's good to know that's been around for a while. What about orgasms, David? When did they evolve, and how could scientists possibly work that out? Well, that's one of the the greater scientific mysteries. But uh, the fact
1: is, any behavior in a complex organism with a brain is rewarded with some what we would know of as as pleasure chemicals, dopamine, serotonin. Um, and that happens in sex, but it also happens with eating food and it happens with avoiding your bowels. Uh, it's to encourage good behavior, essentially. And so if you look at organisms with very, very primitive brains like fish or amphibians or reptiles, uh, they do get pleasure when they have sex. There is a, a slight reward going on chemically in their brain. For both sexes? But, pardon me? For both sexes? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, um, I mean it, it may be specific to species, um, but not all sex uh, prior to human and natu- humans and natural history was coercive by no means. Um, and so you will get, say, female frogs actually getting a pleasure response when they lay their eggs um, in water to be uh, then fertilized by a male, usually a male that she's targeted in in a game of sexual selection where she's actually. Trying to decide which male fertilizes her eggs, um, in the case of frogs, it's often the ones with the most uh, melodious uh, ribbits and chirps calls, That's like right. a a guy playing an acoustic guitar at a party.
0: Yeah, not a good guide for humans. Great for frogs.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, even females do do, uh, do uh, across many species have a pleasure response the same as males. The so sex does promote pleasure in these primitive species. However. Their brains are fairly underdeveloped, but as the brain evolves further down the, the timeline, becoming much more complex, and we arrive at placental mammals, um, we are almost certain that yes, now they have an orgasm of uh, one kind or another. And after mammalian species diversified, after the extinction of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, uh, that uh, orgasm essentially became a, a universal for, for mammalian life on this planet.
0: There's been a lot of debate about the function of the clitoris, which you know, as we know now, is is huge and extends, you know, under the skin for uh, big chunks of a woman's pelvic region. Is that just about pleasure, or does it have a, an evolutionary function beyond saying that's good, keep having sex, that'll be good for your species? Source of another
1: scientific uh, debate. Um, the old point of view was, oh no, it's 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 uh, it serves no evolutionary value. It doesn't seem to be the case. So um, that people bring up the, the question, well, why, why would a uh, uh, clitoris be important? Why would a female sexual pleasure be important if you can impregnate someone uh, without giving them an orgasm? Well, uh, the fact is that in the embryo, while still gestating in the womb, um, before XX or XY uh, 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 is initiated, in a fetus, uh, you will have sort of a baseline structure for that embryo. And you will have um, a bit of material that will either transform into a penis or uh, a clitoris, uh, depending on what hormones they get, uh, subsequent in gestation. And so that's how it begins. But then clitorises started to take on uh, uh, an evolutionary benefit of their own. And we're not quite sure what it is, but there are a number of possibilities. Uh, one possibility is uh encouraging um uh, sort of uh, a mammalian species to stay still uh, uh during sexual contact and uh, uh, briefly afterward to to increase the the rate of successful fertilizations that's that's one possible explanation but there's about half a dozen others uh, but it may be a combination of all of the above uh, but one thing is clear that once uh the clitoris sort of caught on with an evolutionary role in mammals. It just continued to grow in size and sensitivity.
0: Really interesting. We're speaking to David Baker, who's a historian and a science writer, about the vast history of sex. Uh, we're focusing today on mammals and particularly us, but it is a fascinating read about you know huge varieties of sexual behaviour across all different kinds of species. It's called Sex: Two Billion Years of Procreation and Recreation. Uh, and David, I guess you know this discussion turns now to to pleasure. What about masturbation? Uh, and I guess the the question of whether humans are the only species that uh, engages in sexual behavior purely for pleasure.
1: Uh, there's plenty of species that seem to uh, um, derive pleasure from from uh, sex and things that are sex adjacent. Uh, one way we know this is from masturbation. Uh, lots of animals in nature do it. Um, you've got certain quadrupeds that rub up against tree trunks, uh, lions will use their paws. Um, the, the elephant, it's a bit more cumbersome, but they'll, they'll give each other a hand with their trunks. Uh, there's, there's, there's a number of ways to get that job done. And that of course does not serve a direct, uh, reproductive role. Um, it does calm tension um and but you could say the same in humans and that that tension is calmed by uh pleasure and of course if you look at the the primate family tree of which we are a part uh, pretty much all of them are masturbating at some point
0: Phil, uh, sorry, David, do we know uh, when meaning was attached to sex? Because I guess it's hard to speculate about the meaning, the the internal meaning that primates might uh, attach to what they're doing. I know you've written about how it uh, can form a role in uh, group bonding, in social behaviour, in dominance behaviours. What about humans? When did we start going, this is something that we need to, to kind of integrate into our culture, not just into our reproduction? Well. I mean, there's several answers to this. The fact is that many animals experience
1: emotions and is there's quite clear evidence that primates, great apes, chimpanzees, whoever it may be, uh, are capable of feeling uh, affection. Um, and, and sometimes, particularly in bonobos, sex can be very affectionate. Among humans, uh, we started to attach more deep and complex meanings the more our capacity for abstract thinking evolved. And in nature, homo sapiens is fairly unique in, in the extent of their ability to think abstractly. Um, and that's when sex is not just an immediate uh, act that you do and receive pleasure for, but it, it uh, brings on both emotional and philosophical significance. You start getting concepts such as love, but also societal Significance because within foraging uh, foraging groups or uh, traditional agrarian groups, uh, sex becomes an immense part of of the social tapestry of how a society functions.
0: David Baker is our guest. His book is called Sex, Two Billion Years of Procreation and Recreation. And uh, yeah, I was uh, briefly distracted, David, by a text from Annie in New South Wales. That number is 0418 if you'd like to join in, saying, check out the visual of the neck of the cervix dipping into a pool of sperm in the vagina during female orgasm. Amazing. OK, had not heard of that fascinating. I'm, uh, I'm learning a lot in our discussion with David Baker today. But David, are, are humans the only species that, uh, well, I guess we're, we, we're the only species that profess to practice monogamy. <laughs> when did that involve in humans? Uh, well, there's there's plenty of other monogamous species. Among
1: mammals, it's, it's not that great a number. It's about 3% of mammals that practice monogamy. And um, Promiscuity and polygyny, which is one male, multiple females tends to be the dominant practice because it allows for a lot more impregnations. Um, when it comes to humans, our our direct family tree, uh, we had a lot of uh, promiscuity and polygyny hardwired into our instincts until very recently, about 2 million years ago, when uh, we had uh, sort of an immense jump in the size of brains within uh, Homo erectus ergaster. Uh, and there wasn't a concurrent uh, enlargement of the, the vaginal canal, which made birth extremely dangerous and painful. Meanwhile, the, the brain size of a child uh, uh, lengthened its, its period of, of development. Um, unlike many species in nature, um, infant humans are, are helpless for far longer and what that required suddenly, unlike many species, is, is a parental investment, not just from the mother, but uh, a more investment from the father as well. And that uh, seems to have precipitated uh, the evolution of monogamy in humans in, in a, a, a sort of a family tree of old world monkeys and great apes, where monogamy is actually quite rare. And so we had cooperation between mother and father, male and female, um, from about 2 million years on, onward with those those corresponding instincts being driven into our systems, into our psyches. The only thing is, though, uh, it is a mistake to call humans strictly monogamous um, because all that old uh, wiring uh, that goes back millions and millions and millions of years, up to 40 million years uh, of promiscuity and polygyny also exists, which is why you see, historically, promiscuity still exists in humans, but also uh, 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 polygyny. There are polygynous cultures around the world today, and all of the ancient cultures from going back uh, up to 5,500 years ago actually had polygyny among its elite. Um, but monogamy is a very strong impulse, and it seems to animate the behavior of, of most people who hook up and reproduce, and that's throughout history, not just in more modern times.
0: I was wondering, David, there's a lot of couples in long-term monogamous relationships see sex decline over time. Is there an evolutionary driver at work there, or is it something uh, more to do with how we view sex? Well,
1: okay. The, the, The thing is when it comes to attraction and love between monogamous partners, there's two types of love. Um, there's the much more instinctual and chemical love, which is going to, uh, fill your, your stomach with butterflies and and give you strong emotional reactions. Um, and, and that's the sort of love that is, is evolutionary that, um, that, uh, gets two people to stay together for long enough for a kid to at least in theory, uh, defend itself in the wild. And that sort of love lasts a maximum of about eight years. Um, An eight-year-old still isn't necessarily going to survive in a paleolithic forest, but it's got a better chance than a three-year-old. Then assuming the couple stays together, uh, that love evolves into something more rational and mature. Uh, Companionship and partnership takes a different form. Uh, and, And that love is less dependent on raw physical attraction. Um, you can there's plenty of couples that still keep their sex lives alive uh, for decades, but it requires much more inventiveness and probably much more reaching out into experimentation and role play in many cases. um but the the immediate impulse to fall in love, stay with someone, have sex, reproduce that is much more animalistic and and you cannot possibly expect expect that. A uh, series of instincts to last forever.
0: I understand that non-heterosexual sex is quite widespread among mammals, David. Why is that? If it doesn't result in reproduction, why why has evolution said, "Yep, that continues"? Well, uh, it
1: actually it isn't just mammals. It, it, it's pretty much all vertebrate species, um, and it goes back about half a billion years. Um, to the the evolution of gonochorism, which is basically female and male uh, sexual cells being split into two different species altogether. Bisexual behavior um, is confirmed as far back as that via common ancestors, and uh, uh, exclusively homosexual behavior uh, at, at least as far back as three hundred and thirty million years, but probably half a billion years as well. So we do see it across mammals. Um, it's 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 almost a universal. Uh, it's seems to have been an impulse that, that sort of evolved, uh, as a a result of there's two theories on this, um, hormones during gestation in an egg or the womb, um, or, uh, 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 genetics mixing with hormones, genetics making, uh, you know, every odd, uh, offspring more, more receptive to the hormones that, that promote same sex attraction, uh, It doesn't directly lead to reproduction, but it has never, uh, in evolutionary history, led to the extinction of a species. Many uh, species that are same-sex attracted are bisexual and reproduce anyway. Even exclusively homosexual ones might wind up uh, reproducing anyway, particularly uh, female ones. Um, And uh, essentially... If you've you've got uh, an exclusively homosexual primate or human or any organism, really, odds are you've got a very close relative with virtually the same DNA uh, who is not exclusively heterosexual. So essentially, to put it crudely, no species has ever gone extinct
0: for having a gay aunt or uncle. That's very good news. David Baker is our guest today on Life Matters. David, we touched earlier on the the, the way that cultural differences might develop in relation to sexual behaviours when it comes to say, you know, how settled a society is, whether they're uh, practicing agriculture, uh, those kinds of things. What what kind of uh, developments do we see in cultural behaviours and attitudes towards sex in different parts of the world, and different ways that humans live? Well, this is the thing. So,
1: I mean, for purposes of a discussion or even writing a book, one has to make broad, sweeping generalizations. But culture evolves much faster than we do genetically. And and in any time period, there may be cultures that have um, you know, uh, more unusual uh, practices. But uh, when we look at the longest period of our history, which is when humans were hunter-gatherers um, from 300,000 till the very first cultures, Uh, uh, evolving agriculture 12,000 years ago. Meanwhile, much of the world uh, remained hunter-gatherer for much longer, uh, up to more modern times. Um, But uh, essentially, uh, sex became tied to marriage, which became tied to uh, tribal diplomacy, uh, where in order to not be constantly at war, you might have a wedding uh, between two people of different tribes. It, so you're not constantly battling over foraging territory. It was a way of forging alliances. You see similar behaviors uh, once we settled down, started farming, and started building ancient civilizations. Dynastic marriages, of course, were mainstay. Uh, but for the common people in uh, uh, agrarian uh, societies for the last 5,000 years, uh, suddenly if you're sedentary and you're lifeblood, is is dependent on the land you will starve without it so you need that peasant farm uh keeping that farm in the family was absolutely vital and so one thing you see is uh, uh, uh the sexual constraints placed upon females becoming more and more rigid in most of these societies uh that is not to that is not including uh sex work or or ritualistic sex, which which took very different attitudes. But when it came to making sure that your progeny was your own, um, that became much more important. To people when there was land to inherit. However, it's it doesn't that is not meant to say that things were very libertine in foraging cultures either, because uh, instinctual sexual jealousy uh, tended to play a role even uh, in tribal societies like many of those in the Amazon where. They were much looser about monogamy, shall we say. And and there was still a question of tribal stability and loyalty. You couldn't have jealous partners fighting and killing each other, which did and in observable communities today still happens. Um, But that seems to be the major transition is once you get into agrarian civilizations, um, in most of them, the constraints on female sexuality grow much more severe. And of course, that becomes backed up by religion.
0: Well, yes, though, as you mentioned before, uh, professions of monogamy don't always translate exclusively to people being monogamous all the time because of that hardwiring for promiscuity that's still there in us. Let's turn to the future before our time together comes to a finish, David. What's your view from the research you've done as a science writer and a historian about where we're headed in terms of the looseness of sexual attitudes? Because I guess, you know, so many people these days have sex that's completely divorced from reproduction. And in many places, In the world, uh, you know, our attitudes to sex are really open. You can see or buy or sample many things to do with sex. What do you think the future holds? Well, it's it's
1: we're sort of in the middle, not just for sex, but many things in the middle of just an avalanche of change that was brought on 200 years ago by the advent of the modern revolution, uh, the most profound change in human society since the invention of agriculture 12,000 years ago. Um, so we're just at the beginning. It may not feel like it because 200 years is a long time, um, but you know the, the, there there are so many changes and so many variables that it may throw the projected current course off in another direction. But actually, um, despite the the sexual revolution of the 1960s, it would appear that millennials and Gen X are actually having less sex. And uh, in large part, thanks to the uh, isolation promoted by the internet, um, people are actually having fewer relationships as well. Um, and it seems to have two twin effects uh, with young men under 30, it seems to deprive them of, of access. The majority of them have access to sex and girlfriends. Um, and with young women, the exact opposite seems to be the case, where uh, they're dating a smaller and smaller cohort of men. Um, and uh, obviously, because we're not gorillas, polygyny is not uh, the main thing. Um, a, a lot of these women wind up being uh, single uh, into their, their 30s. Uh, so it's in both directions, uh, resulting in a lot more lonely, sexless people. While at the same time, um, you can uh, enter the marketplace of commodified sex, where it's a one-off, and you're buying pornography, or you're visiting a brothel, or you know you're you're indulging in more technological, more recent uh, uh, things like AI companions are capable of having romantic conversations, or uh, the the uh, sort of uncanny, creepy world of sex bots.
0: That's a depressing note to look upon into the future. I do feel like now that you say this, David, that there's all these lonely men unable to access women and lonely women who are dating a smaller pool of men. There is a, there's a niche there for a dating app that can put those two groups together. But yeah, David, tell no, us- I- yeah yeah, I, I would agree I would agree absolutely like dating
1: apps are the cause of that uh trend a, a major cause of that trend right now but if you can invent an app that uh reversed that that particular dynamic I think that would be wonderful so any
0: uh tech wizards out there listening that would be a billion dollar idea for you yep yeah, I'd love to hear that and David just to finish up with quickly what is the most surprising thing that you have learned about human nature by by studying and compiling this book on sex uh
1: I would have to say just how central Sex is to the development of human history, um, to to uh, a degree that is often overlooked and understated. I mean, our entire societies pretty much revolve around sex, and and the fortunes of uh, society uh, to, a, to a major degree seem to rely on the relationship between uh, men and women, and 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 the prosperity and stability of families. So. Uh, going back three hundred thousand years, it, it is central to our cultural, uh, intellectual, philosophical, and political evolution. Uh, you know, sex is is behind it all to the point you could you could call us a, a a very very Freudian species living
0: in Freudian civilizations. Ooh, that's another book waiting to come out of that, David. Thank you so much for your time today on Life Matters. It's just been a really really interesting discussion. My pleasure. David Baker is a historian and a science writer. His book's called Sex, Two Billion Years of Procreation and Recreation. I find it heartening how much recreation has been going on in that time. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.